Isaiah chapter 15 and 16. We're going to do both chapters tonight because chapter 15 is pretty short. And uh, really it's a continuation on to chapter 16. But chapters 15 and 16 is a declaration of destruction and then destruction. Verse 15 is the, the message that... There will be destruction in Moab. And then in chapter 16, we see about the destruction. So chapter 15 is a prophecy of the destruction of the Moabites. And two of their main cities are mentioned as being made desolate in verse 1. In verses 2 and 3, the inhabitants, those living there in various places, are represented as they're weeping and they're mourning and they're showing different signs of that desolation. Not only the common people, but the armed soldiers as well. We see that in verse 4. Even the prophet Isaiah himself is being affected by this desolation. We see that in verse 5. What causes the weeping in the morning was the great drought. It was so bad that there was no grass. There was nothing green left, according to verse 6. The goods of the people were carried away either by themselves or others, according to verse 7. And the escape and the cry of the people to the very borders of the land, we read in verse 8. And the great bloodshed that will be, we see in verse 9. So this is basically an outline of what is happening in in chapter 15. So let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 15. And it says, the burden or the message against Moab. Because in the night, because in the night are of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. Because in the night, Kerr of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. So Ar and Kerr are the two cities here that are mentioned being made desolate here in verse 1. So Isaiah in verse 1 says that the message he received was concerning Moab. And in one night, the town of Ar is going to be leveled and the city of Kerr is going to be destroyed. Moab was east of the Dead Sea. The Moabites were descendants of Lot through his incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter in Genesis chapter 19, verses 31 through 18. Oh, chapter, uh, first, sorry, Genesis 19 through uh, verse 31. Moab had always been Israel's enemy. They had oppressed Israel and they invaded their land. They fought against Saul and against David. Moab would be punished for treating Israel so cruelly. Let's look at verse 2 now. It says, he has gone up to the temple and Dabon, to the high places to weep. Moab will wail over Nebo and over Mediba. On all their heads will be baldness and every beard cut off. So Isaiah says to Moab, your people are going to go to their temple, to their temple, the Moab's temple, uh, to mourn. They're going to go to their sacred shrines to cry because of the fate of Nebo and Mediba. They're going to shave their heads. That was an expression of sorrow. And they're going to cut off their beards as well. Now, Dibon used to believe, the city of Dibon used to belong to the Israelites. These were the high places that the temples or houses where they, where, where they worshipped idols. But this is where the people would go up. But to cry. Now, they're going to go there to cry and to mourn because their land is destroyed. But, think of it. Can crying to idols really help people out of their, or, or comfort them? Idols are nothing, Paul said. They're, they're, they're creations of men's mind. He even called them demons. 
So again, these people were going to their high places where they once worshipped idols, but they're going to go up there to cry and to mourn for their land because it's destroyed. But idols can't really help them. Idols can't really comfort them. Isaiah personifies Moab by saying, the reason why there's crying is because Moab's whole head is bald, disgraced, and his beard has been cut off so that he's been humiliated. Or, or again, Moab has been humiliated. And they can't raise their head anymore and they can't face the world. Humiliating, shameful defeat has come to Moab. Verse 3. Speaking of Moab, he has gone, uh, I'm sorry, in their streets, that is in the Moab, in their streets, they will clothe themselves with sackcloth on the tops of their houses, and in their streets, everyone will wail, weeping bitterly. So they're going to wear burlap, you know, like a, you know, it's just a real itchy, scratchy material, uh, like gunny sack. So they're going to put on burlap as they wander the streets, and from every home and every public square, they're going to be heard crying. Men are going to go to the streets of Moab to see what's going on, you know, on the streets there of the cities. People are going to have sackcloth on, and again, it's a sign of grief and mourning. On the roofs of the houses and in public squares and in the plazas or in the malls of the cities, there's going to be this same weeping going on, and the whole country is weeping. The whole country. Like water that runs down, the whole nation comes down when it's crying. Verses 4 and 5. Heshbon and Elalea will cry out. Their voice shall be heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore the armed soldiers of Moab will cry out. His life will be burdensome to him. My heart, notice Isaiah says, My heart will cry out for Moab. His fugitives shall flee to Zor. Like a three-year-old heifer, for by the ascent of Luhith, they will go up with weeping. For in the way of Horonaim, they will raise up a cry of destruction. So the people of Heshbon and Elilah are going to be crying. Their voices are going to be heard as far away as Jahaz, Isaiah tells us. Moab's bravest warriors are going to cry out in great terror. They're going to be helpless with fear. Isaiah says, notice, my heart weeps for Moab. And, and the people of Moab, they're, flee, they're fleeing to Zoar, weeping. They're, they're going to be crying as they climb the road to Luhith. And their cries, cries of distress will be heard all along the road to Horonaim. But notice, even though Moab was Israel's enemy, notice Isaiah's heart. It goes out to the people, even though they were enemies of God. They went, his heart went out because of the terror that's come upon the Moabites. Notice that Isaiah's heart shows the heart of God. You know, even our enemies, we are to love them. We're not to hate them. We're not to come against them. We're to love them. Jesus was a great example of that. Jesus, all he did was good. He went around doing good. And people hated him, but you know what? He loved them. And I love what, what the psalmist said in Psalm 109. He says, you know, people, he says, people turn to me in hatred for my love. He said, I love them. And yet they hated me. You know what he did? He didn't retaliate. He prayed for those people. 
That's the best method, the best way to deal with people who badmouth you or slander you or whatever it might be. Don't talk about them. Well, if you do, do it on your knees. Do it before God. Pray for those people. So look at verse 6 now. For the waters of Nimrim will be desolate. For the green grass has withered away. The grass fails. There is nothing green. Remember, Isaiah here is describing what's going to happen to Moab. So in verse 6, even the waters of Nimrim are going to dry up. The grassy banks are dried up. The tender plants are gone. There's nothing that's green left. So Isaiah gives a couple more reasons for why the people are crying in Moab. Not only are the cities going to be taken, but those who live there, they have to flee. They have to escape. They ha- and the country itself is going to suffer because of this destruction. The water is going to be dried up. You know, where there used to be the beautiful meadows of the watery land, there's now, that land is now withered. It's dried up. And when the waters dry up, all the plant life will dry up as well. They're going to disappear. Isaiah says, nothing green will be left. As he continues to describe the the desolation, notice verse 7. Therefore, the abundance that they have gained and what they have laid up, they will carry away to the brook of the willows. Isaiah says, the people get their possessions. They carry them across this river of of this ravine called willows. Whatever's left of the desolation in Moab, they carried it to the, next, to the country next door, which was Edom. Look at verse 8. For the cry has gone all around the borders of Moab. It's wailing to Eglam and it's wailing to Beer Elam. So here Isaiah says, a cry of distress is echoing through the land of Moab from one end to the other, from Eglam to Beer Elam. The destruction and the desolation in Moab has become so great that the howling of the people can be heard from Moab to Eglim, which was probably at the northern end of the Dead Sea and even to Beer Elam. Moab's boundary toward the wilderness. This shows how far away the wailing, the, the crying of the people was heard. Verse 9, here's why. Because the waters of Demon will be full of blood because I will bring more, more upon Demon, lions upon him who escapes from Moab and on the remnant of the land. So the stream near Dibon, it says, is going to run red with blood. But notice Isaiah says, God says, I'm still not finished with Dibon. Lions are going to hunt down the survivors, both those who try to escape and those who stay behind. So you see, when you see the description here in verses 1 through 9 of the desolation that's going to happen to Moabite, these two cities in in Moab, there's good reason for the people's crying because the land is filled with chaos and confusion and now blood. The waters of Dibon have become waters of blood. And a lot of blood has already been shed, but now more bloodshed is on the way. Additional things will be brought upon the people as if they hadn't already had enough. Those who escape from Moab, they're going to meet a lion, Isaiah says. That beast of the wilderness, it will destroy and finish the work of those that invaded Moab. But there will be a remnant. And so destruction will not be absolute. They won't be totally wiped out. But the lion will meet the remnant. So all of this has already been fulfilled. Now let's look at verse 16. Chapter 16 now opens with a last call to Moab to take advantage of the mercy of God that he's provided for us. And for, well, for her at this point, and for all of us. 
So again, chapter 15 was a description of what was going to happen to Moab. Now in chapter 16, it's God's last call for Moab to take advantage of God's mercy. And you know what? God is very patient with the human race. You know, he's been patient for over 2,000 years because the Bible says that, that God does not rejoice when people perish, and he's not willing that any should perish. But one day, that, that time of grace is going to come to an end. And, and that's the picture that we see here. This is, this is Moab's prediction. Hey, you're going to get wiped out. The, the land's going to be desolate. You're going to be mourning. You're going to be miserable. But you know what? You still have a chance to turn from all of that. God's provided a way of escape. Let's begin with verse 1 now in chapter 16. And it says, Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness to the mount of the daughter of Zion. So Isaiah says, Send lambs from Selah as a tribute to the ruler of the land. Send them through the desert to the mountain of, of beautiful Zion. Now lambs were to be sent from Moab to Israel for an offering on the altar there. Now, the lamb was the animal of sacrifice that represents Jesus Christ the best. John said, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John 1, Because Moab was attacked by the Assyrians, the Moabite refugees, they were run away uh, to Selah or Petra, which was in the country of Edom to the south. The hopeless Moabites would send a tribute of lambs to Jerusalem asking for Judah's protection. That's what Isaiah is telling them to do. Jerusalem would be a safe refuge, a safe place of protection for a little while. Isaiah advised Judah to accept these refugees, these, these Moabites, as a sign of compassion during the enemy's time of devastation. Now, if the Moabites sent a lamb... Moab would, sh- would show that they recognize the God of Israel. You know, a- a- as Jesus Christ is, is, the, is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, when we receive Jesus Christ, it, it shows that we recognize the God who sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for our sins. But you know what? They didn't send the lamb. The Moabites, you know, it's like a lot of people. The Moabites wanted to be religious without admitting the fact that they were subject to a higher will and that they were sinners in the sight of God. And you know what? This was the Moabites' great sin. A lot of people want the advantages of God. They want the blessings of God, but they don't want God. Look at verse 2. For it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. In other words, the women of Moab are left like homeless birds. Isaiah says here. At the shallow crossings of the Arnon River. They're like a bird that's lost its place, lost its way. It's like a bird that flutters around here and there. Not knowing where its nest is. That's, that, was no, that was Moab. That's, what, that's the way Isaiah is describing Moab. Wherever Moab turned, there was no help. There was no place of safety for her. Her nest had been thrown away. So will it be, it says here in verse 2, for the daughters of Moab, that is the women of the land. The women of the land, the daughters of Moab, they're going to mourn. They're going to look for safety at the shallow crossings of the, of the Arnon River. That was the boundary of the land. 
And after crossing these shallow crossings, can they find deliverance? This couldn't separate the Moabites from the Assyrians. That's, they were taken there. Verses 3 through 5. Notice, take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast, do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at, hand, is at, the, is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are, are consumed out of the land. Notice, in mercy the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So the cry goes out for help. Moab says, help us. Defend us against our enemies. Protect us from the relentless attack of the Assyrians. Don't betray us you know, that now that we have escaped. So he's asking for the refugees to stay with them. Israel in protection. Hide them from our enemies, he says, until the terror is gone. And when the oppression and the destruction is over and the enemy uh, raiders are gone, then God will establish one of David's descendants as king, it says here. And he will rule in mercy and truth. And he will always do what's fair and be willing to do what's right. The Moabites now speak out. Once they were conceited, they were proud, they were self-confident, and they were strong. But look at them now. They're willing now to put themselves in the hands of their former enemy, Judah. And now they beg to be under Judah's protection. That is, under Judah's shadow, so that they won't be visible to the enemy anymore. Moab needs to be delivered from their enemy. So she prays that Judah will do this for them. The shadow represents protection. It covers, it hides, it prevents the enemy from seeing. But here's the thing. Judah's asking for protection. Uh, I'm sorry, Moab is asking for protection from Judah. But if there's going to be a deliverance... Moab has to first be covered with Judah's shadow. They first have to be covered with Judah's protection, unquestionably. And all who will find deliverance must be covered with Judah's shadow. That is under Judah's protection. Again, at one time, Israel used to go to Moab. But now the situation is totally reversed and Moab goes to Israel for protection. The reference here is to a spiritual conversion of this long-time enemy of God's people. Moab is not going to be totally wiped out. When the enemy comes against her, she's she's to look to God, who is to be found in Judah, and to come with prayer for deliverance. Hide me under the shadow of your wing. We see that often. It's the basic nature of prayer. Lord, hide me under the shadow of your wing as it's also all of those who flee to Jesus Christ for refuge. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37, he said, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, notice, under her wings, under the shadow of her wings for protection, but you were not willing. They didn't want Christ. Moab wants refuge from God's people. He wants God's people to protect them, but Moab has oppressed them, and he's plundered them, and he's hurt them. How will they act? How will Moab act 
toward Israel if they go to her for protection? Will the Israelites feel safe around the Moabites? The Moabites only want to stay there for a little while because they're faced with an oppressor called the extortioner in verse 4. And that extortioner will stop, will soon stop troubling them. And, and, and I, see, I find that interesting too because, you know, they want God's help from this oppressor, from this extortioner, for this, from this enemy. But they're only, want, they're only going to be there for a little while. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of people, they want God's help from the enemy. They want God to intervene in their difficult times, but only for a little while. Only until their problems are gone and, and then they're on their way and God has forgotten. Isaiah was not impressed with what the Moabites were asking for. He calls them extortioners there in verse 4. He, they, they were spoilers, they were oppressors and announced that the nation was destined to be uh, uh, destroyed in verse 4. Why? Because they wanted Judah's help, but they didn't want Judah's God. Verse 5 is a messianic promise. And it points to that day when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will reign in righteousness and mercy on David's throne. But Moab, they wouldn't submit. They wouldn't submit to God's way. They wanted deliverance on their own terms. Like a lot of people want to go to heaven, but they want to do it on their own terms. And yet the Bible says there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you must be born again. Because if you're not born again, it says no one's going to see the Father. So there's a way to heaven. But it's God's way. The Moabites, they wanted deliverance, but they wanted it on their own terms. A lot of people are like that. Again, they want to be delivered from their problems, but they want deliverance on their own terms. They want God's help, but they don't want God. Verse 6. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. So as Isaiah says, we've heard about the pride of Moab. We've heard about its pride and its arrogance and its rage. But all of that boasting, now it's disappeared. And it's funny how, how mouthy we can be and how arrogant we can be until we get into a problem. All of their boasting now has disappeared. And Isaiah now deals with Moab's pride. And demands have been made for Moab now to treat Judah with kindness. And there's a good reason why demands should be made because Moab has been an arrogant nation and her arrogance is well known. Isaiah's making it known here. Isaiah continues to speak and says that he and others, hey, we've heard of your pride, Moab. And Isaiah uses one word after another to describe Moab's arrogance. But what makes Moab's pride so foolish is seen in verses 1 through 5 here. Isaiah predicts refugees from Moab pleading for protection to Judah. Oh, sorry, pleading for, uh, pleading for protection in Judah. Moab has come under attack and, it's, and Moab is being plundered and Moab is being destroyed. 
The people of Moab, they're running for their lives, and they're begging Judah, please open up your gates, open up your country to us, let us come in. But there's a problem. Judah is the throne of the Messiah from the line of David. And you see, Moab refuses help on those terms. They'd rather take their chances than submit to the throne of the Messiah. And Isaiah looks at their pride, I mean, with astonishment. Pride, it just shows how foolish we can be. Notice Isaiah says that he is very proud there in verse 6. He's very proud. And look at the four words for pride he uses in verse 6. First, he says he uses the word pride, and he uses the pride twice. Then he uses the word haughtiness, which is arrogance. And then he uses the word wrath, which is insolence. And lies, which means boastings. Pride, haughtiness, wrath, lies. That's all pride can bring anybody. But you know what? These had matching words in verse 5. Mercy, truth, justice, and righteousness on God's part. Moab could have enjoyed all of that. Moab could have enjoyed mercy, truth, justice, and righteousness if they would have come in on God's terms. But they would see, in order to do that, you have to humble yourself to enter into God's kingdom. You have to say, you know what? God, I, I, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And I'm confessing my sins to you, Lord. I need you. I need you. I, I, I want to receive you as my Savior. So you see, you have to humble yourself. They had to humble themselves to enter into Judah. And that's costly, isn't it? For a lot of people, that's just too costly. But you need to remember what it cost Jesus on the cross to die for your sins. He paid a cost. He paid a price that you couldn't pay. And he died upon that cross in my place, in your place. And people can enjoy the good life. That doesn't mean that they're not going to have any problems, that they're not going to have any difficulties, but they can enjoy peace and joy and happiness in spite of those things. They can have the things that this world can't give them. But they see that they don't want to humble themselves. They don't want to enter into the kingdom because they feel it's too costly. How many of us have seen loved ones or friends on their deathbeds. And you know, maybe you've been, you're, you're offering to them, hey, you know what? You want to receive Christ before you go, before you, before you, you, you die? And know that you're going to go into the kingdom of heaven when you die and you're going to be with Jesus for all eternity? They would rather reject God rather than be saved. Yeah, that's just our rotten nature. Something inside of us, pride. Something inside of us would rather struggle than bow before God. And that's the way it is with a lot of people. And they'd rather stay miserable in their life. They'd rather go through all of the things that they're going through rather than humble themselves and say, Lord, I need you. 
Verse 7. Therefore, Moab, therefore, is taking us back to what was just said. You know, again, the pride of Moab. Therefore, because of Moab's pride, Moab shall wail for Moab. Everyone shall wail because the foundations of Ker, Hereseth, you shall mourn. Surely they are stricken. It says the entire land of Moab is going to weep. Everyone in Moab is going to mourn for the, for the good life that they had. The cakes of raisins from Ker, Hereth, they're all gone now. Isaiah breaks out in these strong sentences because Moab was what she because Moab was uh, what she was uh, wasn't what she was there. She was weeping. She wasn't wasn't what she used to be, and now she's weeping. The reason for their mourning seems to be because she'll be, she's going to be deprived of all of those things that she once enjoyed, and she's going to howl in grief and she's going to mourn for herself. The vineyards of Ker Hereth uh, and the raisin cakes that, could, that, that used to be made from the grapes, that could be made from the grapes, which were enjoyed by the Moabites, they're now gone. The vineyards are destroyed. They can't grow their grapes anymore. There wouldn't be any more wine, and the bottles would lie useless, and they'd be broken. So they had good reason to mourn, verse 8. For the fields of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Sibma, the lords of the nations, have broken down his choice plants, which have reached to Jazer and wandered through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. The farms of Heshbon are, are, are abandoned, Isaiah says. The vineyards at Sibna, they're deserted. There's nobody there. The rulers of the nations have broken down Moab. That beautiful grapevine. Its vines spread north as far as the town of Jazer and trailed eastward into the wilderness. And its shoots reached so far west that they crossed over the Dead Sea. That's what verse 8 is saying. There is a reason for the people mourning. Because the vines of Heshbon, they no longer produce grapes. They're withered. They don't give any more grapes. Every vine in Sibma has been broken down by the leaders of the Gentiles. The shoots of these vines used to creep along the ground, just reaching out, reaching even to Jazer in the Dead Sea. The whole land was covered with these vines that the enemy destroyed. Verse 9. Therefore I will be... Va- de- Therefore, I will bewail the vine of Sibma with the weeping of Jazir. I will drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Elilah, for battle cries have fallen over your summer fruits and your harvest. So Isaiah says, Now I weep for Jazir and the vineyards of Sibma. My tears will flow for Heshbon and Elilah. There are no more shouts of joy over the summer fruits and the harvest. Isaiah shares his own feelings of sympathy for the nation that was punished. And his heart breaks at the thought of the destruction of Moab's beautiful vineyards. Even though he was called by God, even though Isaiah was called by God to bring God's wrath down on these guilty people, he still had compassion for them. That's the love of God. That's the heart of God. God doesn't take pleasure in anybody perishing. God does not take revenge on anyone. I mean, he offers over and over and over again his mercy and his grace. 
These people were guilty and truly deserved their judgment. But again, Isaiah, though he was called to bring God's wrath down on these guilty people, he still had compassion for them. So as the people of Jazir cried, so did Isaiah. You know, the Bible says love does not rejoice in iniquity. You know what that means? It means that, you know, when, when, we, see people get what, when we see people get what we deserve, <laughs> we're not to go, <laughs> they're finally getting what they deserve. You know, it's like that guy on the freeway that you see speeding and he gets a ticket. Finally, he got what he deserved. God says, we're not to rejoice in iniquity. And that's what Isaiah said. He's not rejoicing in, in, in what they were going through. He felt bad. He had compassion for the people. And that's the love of God. We're to, we're to have that same compassion. So as the people of Jazir cried, so did Isaiah. Isaiah is sharing and taking part in the people's sorrow. Isaiah's crying will be just as sad as the people who are being judged. Isaiah loved those vineyards too, and he realized that. And he realized because of human sin, these these vineyards would be destroyed. The whole country has suffered. And he can't help but cry for them. In verses 8 and 9, we learn from this, sad, that, that, from this that the disasters that were destroying and mutilating the beauty of the world, again, may be a result of man's sin. God, God cursed the earth in Genesis and told Adam that, that, that through the sweat of your brow, you know, from the toil, you're, you're going to get your, your food every day while you're alive on this earth the ground was cursed because of man's sin verse 10 gladness is taken away notice that and joy from the plentiful field in the vineyards there will be no singing nor will there be shouting no treaders will tread out wine in the presses i have made their shouting cease notice that who stopped the joy of the people god a lot of times people think, oh, oh, God wouldn't. Oh, he's a loving God. God wouldn't do something like that. Well, I beg to differ you. It's not what the Bible teaches. God is a loving God, but he will judge sin. And really, you know what? When you think about it, God didn't do this. God gave them an opportunity. Remember a few, cha- a few uh, verses earlier? He gave them a chance to, to, to humble themselves and to accept the mercy and the grace of God, but they said no. And when you say no to God and you reject his love and his mercy, you can't expect anything but judgment. And you can't blame God. My God, why did you do that to me? No, I've offered you my mercy and my grace, but you rejected it. And that's the only thing you can expect is judgment. The whole country suffered, but, Moab, but, but he can't help but cry. And then again, like it says in verse 10, gladness and the joy of the harvest, it's gone now. There's not going to be any more singing in the vineyards. There's not going to be any more happy, happy shouting. There's not going to be anybody treading the grapes in the wine press. And it says here in verse 10, I, that is the Lord, have ended all. All of their harvest joys. He put a stop to it. These beautiful terraced hillsides 
that were covered with vineyards where there used to be rejoicing and there used to be gladness, God put a stop to it. You see, we can't expect the blessings of God when we are living in sin. And a lot of people, they live in sin and they pray, oh God, you know, help me in this situation, get me out of this, and well, they're living in sin. God does does not hear the prayers of the wicked, the Bible says. God had increased the gladness and men, they had rejoiced before at harvest time when they were gathering grapes. And you know what? It's going to be the same thing when when the Lord Jesus comes, when Messiah comes. There will be a gladness and a joy and we will be rejoicing. In Moab, on the other hand, the picture was a lot different. For Moab, God had acted as well. All right, but again, we see here in a negative way. As a result, gladness and joy was removed from the fruitful land. God does not bless disobedience. He disciplines or punishes. As a parent, have you ever rewarded a child for disobeying? Not if you're a good parent. It's the same with the Heavenly Father. We're his children. Why is he going to bless me and reward me for being disobedient? No, he's going he's to take me to the woodshed. And he's going to show me. Joe, that, that's not right. You can't do that. Isaiah enjoyed talking about the fruitful land. In Moab, there's not going to be joy and gladness. In place of that beautiful, fruitful field, there's going to be nothing. There's going to be desolation. A desolation that would bring sorrow and misery would be what they experience instead. Remember, that's what chapter 15 was all about. It was the warning about what was going to happen. And here's the reality of it in 16. Instead of the joy they had before in the singing of the workers, there would be this terrible sound of silence. The joy is gone. It's been taken away so that it can't be seen anymore. In the fields were huge rocks that had, where they would cut out these vats for trampling the grapes. The thing is, there was nobody there to, tramp, to, 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 to tread on the grapes. There would be no more wine flowing from the upper vat into the lower vat. God had caused the cry of the worker to stop, the shout of the worker to stop. Isaiah is speaking as God's representative. Isaiah wants us to understand that he himself, Isaiah Isaiah is not the one who who caused this, this joyous occasion to stop. God had done so. Isaiah takes up God's word in his own mouth and he represents God's thoughts and words. Verse 11. Therefore my heart shall resound like a harp for Moab and my inner being for Kir Hereseth. He says my heart's cry for Moab is like a, like a song of lament on a harp. He says I'm filled with anguish for, for, the, for, for Kir Hereseth. There's a lot to learn from this passage about Isaiah and God. Isaiah's already said that his heart would cry out for Moab in chapter 15, verse 5. He said his heart would cry for for Jazir too here in chapter uh, 16, verse 9. He's identifying himself with the afflicted nation. He's identifying with the nation's pain and sorrow. 
And to express his, his thought about Moab's decline, he uses a strong illustration. He says it's like playing a sad song on a harp. He said, that's how my heart feels. The word heart in the Hebrew is really the word bowels. It, it means intestines, abdomen, stomach, or, or womb. It's the inward parts. And the Hebrews considered these to be the seat of the emotions. Everything that was happening to Moab, it troubled Isaiah to the innermost depths of his being. This wasn't some lightweight thing that Isaiah was feeling. It was some, not light, some lightweight feeling of sorrow for the condemnation. It was a deep, stirring, soul-stirring emotion because of a deep affection that, that Isaiah had for those that he was preaching to. But at the same time, he's speaking for God as God's representative. And if Isaiah shows concern, so does God. Because Isaiah declares only what God tells him to. In Isaiah's heart, there was this deep, heartfelt concern. It was tearing him up. It was tearing him up inside. Because of the compassion and the affection that he had for Moab and the people. Did God also have this tenderness toward Moab? who was a longtime enemy of God's chosen people, Isaiah is the proof that God did. Does have that tenderness and that mercy, merciful attitude toward Moab. And that God is deeply moved again as well because of its desolation. Verse 12. And it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he will come to his sanctuary to pray. Notice, but he will not prevail. The people of Moab are going to worship at their pagan shrines, but it's not going to do them any good. They're going to cry to their gods, little g. They're going to cry to their gods in their temples, but no one will be able to save them. You see, Moab didn't know the true and the living God of Israel. That's the basic and the biggest reason why Moab couldn't find any rest. In times of distress, it's really sad to see people turn to those who aren't God. Who turn to those who aren't God. They're gods with a little g. They turn to those that really can't help them. They really don't have the power to help them the way they need to be helped. Moab will go to its gods... And they will be seen by their gods. Moab will stand before their gods. And they will be totally worn out. They will be exhausted. Because they have been trying their, their hardest. They've been striving to offer worship to those gods. And those gods cannot help them. Moab will also go into his temples where the statues of its gods are there to pray. But they'll go in vain. It, that is their God, can't pray. If we ask anything in Jesus' name, he says he'll go to the Father. And we'll, if it's according to his will, he will answer our prayer. But these folks, these, these Moabites, they're going to go to their temple. They're going to pray to their gods. But their God can't pray. And how desperate. I mean, is the... 
the trials and the difficulties of a nation or people who pray and, and have no answers because they don't pray to the living God. When a nation has sunk to the place where it can't pray to the true and living God, it's not in, it's not in good shape. It's not in a good condition. In Moab, everybody went to the church of his own way. And there's a lot of people who go to the church of their own way. Not to the church of the way, Jesus Christ. But to their own way. The Moabites couldn't pray because prayer to false gods is always useless. Nor can anybody else pray who doesn't come to God through Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because there's power in his name. Verse 13. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. The Lord has already said these things about Moab in the past, Isaiah says. God had already spoken to Moab even from way back. Words of God, God's words against Moab are found even in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. The present passage here is only the conclusion of the message that God has all along been directing against Moab. So Moab had plenty of warning, just like man today has had plenty of warning that one day they're going to die, they know that, and they're going to stand before God in the judgment, but where they end up in eternity is dependent on the decision they make for or against Jesus Christ. And man will never be able to say, I didn't know. There's no excuse for Moab's disobedience. No, Moab knew what the Lord required. And Moab knew for a long time. And just as we sit here tonight and we've heard God's word, we are now responsible for what we've heard and what we do with it. Verse 14 in closing. But now the Lord has spoken, saying within three years... As the years of a hired man, the glory of Moab, notice, will be despised with all that great multitude and the remnant will be very small and feeble. So the Lord says now, he says, within three years, within three years, the glory of Moab will be ended. And from its great population, only a few of its people are going to be left alive. That's how long Moab has Three years. Notice the grace of God again. Three years. That's how long Moab has until her glory and everything that she found her glory in would be humiliated. Three years exactly and Moab will perish, but a small remnant, God says, will be delivered. And in three years, God used Assyria to destroy this nation. It was God's judgment on them because of his pride, because of their pride. Lucifer was also lifted up. Remember in Isaiah chapter 14? Lucifer, he he wanted to lift his throne above the throne of God. Lucifer wanted to establish his own self-ruled kingdom, and he wanted to be independent of God. Pride is the thing that causes people to reject God's word. And as I said earlier, most people want a do-it-yourself religion. They want to do something. They want to be the one to do something to be saved because it satisfied their pride. And they say, look what I did. No, it's look what Jesus did. 
Look at what Jesus did for you and me. There's nothing I can do, ever, where I could get into the kingdom of God on my own merit. Judgment came upon Moab. This nation, Moab, who wanted to do it their way. And you know what? Moab is a nation that is totally forgotten today. When was the last time you heard Moab on the news? God said, I'm going to wipe you out because you rejected my love and my grace. And he did. They wanted to go into the, they, they wanted to enter into Judah, into God's city on their own. But understand, these two chapters, 15 and 16, they have a message for us. We must enter into the city of God on God's terms through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God, your wonderful word, God, your pure word, your saving word, God. Father, we, we thank you so much for what you've done on the cross, Lord. We thank you for our salvation. And Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, we would, that, Lord, if there's anything, any ounce of pride in us right now, God, that, Lord, we'd confess it. It's sin. And pride keeps us from doing the right thing. It keeps us from being like Christ. It keeps us from talking like Christ. It keeps us from acting like Christ. It keeps us from walking like Christ. And we are to be like Christ. Father, may you just watch over your people. May you bless them. May you have your hand upon them tonight, God. May you get them home safely, Lord. May you bless their time as they they fellowship, Lord. And um, God, we look forward to meeting together again. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.